Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome for the very first time on our show, Peter Hug, Director of Global Trading with Kitco, a precious metals dealer with offices in Montreal, New York City, and Hong Kong. Peter, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Pleasure to be here, Charlie. So, Peter, you started in the precious metals uh, and foreign exchange industry, 1973. I'm sure right outside, right after uh, kindergarten here. Uh, <laughs> you joined Kitco in 2010, so you have a very long career. Uh, you have retail and wholesale clients for precious metals, and you know most everyone in the industry. So we'd like to start, Peter, with, would you give us some insights into the industry of precious metals? That's an industry that very few people know. I, I am next to uh, totally uh, 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 ignorant of how that industry works, what it's about, etc. Are we talking about uh, millennials who are involved? Are we talking about old folks who uh, have an attitude of gloom and are looking for the second coming here and conspiracy theorists? Are we primarily into industrial uses these days? Is the China's corner on the market for error metals? Is it a big deal? Where is the industry today, especially compared to what most of us have, have known and kind of seen and understood or believed, uh, you know, for the past 30, 40 years? Well, Charlie, actually, it's almost identical to where it was when I, uh, when I entered the industry back in the uh, early 70s. Uh, I looked at it actually about three years ago when I was uh, speaking on uh, various conference, uh, uh, conference venues. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to compare, uh, you know, what had changed in the 40-odd years I had been in the business uh, relative what offerings and, and what participation uh, uh, was evident in the precious metals markets from, you know, the early 70s. Uh, through the uh, through the first gold and silver rush in 79.80, when gold hit $850 and silver first hit $50, and I wanted to just sort of compare then and now, and uh, you know, there's very little that has changed as far as the uh, the uh, offerings that are in the market today relative uh, back in the 70s. I mean, one of the obvious uh, differences today, uh, other than when I started in the business, is now we have computers. Uh, now I uh, I do my uh, business not on IBM Selectric typewriters and everything is not done over the telephone. It's all done digitally and uh, you know via computer and uh, so the speed of transactions has obviously increased considerably since the 70s. Uh, the participation in the market uh, from not only retail dealers but also uh, wholesale market makers has also increased dramatically uh, because of the uh, just the reach, the global reach through the internet uh, that is, uh, has now opened opened up uh, uh, since the uh, dawn of the internet and, uh, you know, the digital uh, sort of transformation that we've seen over the past 20 years. But the product offerings, ironically, remain relatively similar. The only thing different today than uh, that we saw back in the 70s when I got into the business was now you have ETFs. And uh, you also have uh, certain hybrid products where you can trade ratios between two metals. 
But the actual basics of the investing in the precious metals business, buying physical product or doing futures contracts or options, managed accounts or investing in uh, gold mines uh, or shares just generally in the in the precious metal space uh, is very little changed uh, from what uh, I experienced back in the 70s. You know, now, Peter, that, the, that that's interesting. Yep, I'm sorry, let, go let, ahead, Charlie. Let, let, let me ask. There are two significant changes that have occurred in the uh, financial marketplaces in the world. Tell us how they have impacted precious metals. One is China. I mean, 1973, nobody in China had any money. Money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, that's where one heck of a lot of money is. And number two is cryptocurrencies. I mean, that has got to be a competitor with gold for the uh, conspiracy theorists and people who believe that, uh, you know, governments are going to run currencies into the ground and that kind of thing, which, which has been a hotbed, an issue for anybody interested uh, who, who has gone to gold. Uh, and there are probably others, but th- those uh, come to mind. How have those two impacted gold or have they impacted it much? I think China coming, uh, you know, sort of coming into the modern world uh, and uh, the uh, middle class uh, in China now having uh, some, uh, uh, from, a, from a perspective of, of spending uh, capability, uh, that was not obviously uh, the case in, in the 70s and 80s and actually even in the 90s. I mean, so, so you are seeing the fact that china uh, the the uh, the population of china that is that is capable of of investing in gold uh, has certainly increased the demand for gold and we certainly see that out of our hong kong office uh, so that's just uh, really all that is is just another demand cycle coming into the equation but at the same time china over the past 20 30 years is also a significant producer of gold internally although they do import gold uh, to meet their reserve requirements uh, and and to beef up their central bank reserves uh, china is a is a relatively uh, large producer of gold which was not the case back in the 70s and 80s as far as cryptocurrencies go, uh, yeah, I agree that back, uh, you know, a couple of years back when, when, uh, when uh, you know, Bitcoin went up to $19,000, there was definitely competition relative gold. But, you know, Bitcoin's now south of $4,000, so the bubble has come out of that, uh, out of that market. And it's really illustrated the volatility of the crypto market. Now, I'm not suggesting that crypto is not a good investment, uh, but the fact of that volatility going from zero to 19,000 and then back to $3,800 has really uh, created a lot of uh, sort of uh, hesitation from the uh, point of view of new investors entering into that market. There's there's just a little uh, too much uncertainty uh, and, you know, what type of regulations might come down the road uh, relative to crypto market. So that's that sort of prevented uh, a major, uh, a major co- competitive force against uh, the precious metals markets. And, you know, when you look at gold, I mean, I don't want to be one of these guys, uh, you know, on an interview that says, you know, the world is coming to an end and gold is going to go to $10,000 an ounce. I mean, gold's not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's a commodity. Uh, there are times when gold does extremely well, and there are times when gold uh, does extremely poorly. 
we came out in uh, September of 2018 with a very aggressive buy on gold, but it was premised on fundamentals that we believed would occur in the future, and those fundamentals are starting to come true. We were not in the camp that believed the Fed was going to raise interest rates four times in 2019. In fact, uh, it appears they're not going to raise it all in 2019, and now there's even a chance that uh, they may even lower rates sometime near the uh, second or third quarter of 2019, depending on economic recovery. So when you look at sort of the, the macro picture of, of, of what's going on uh, from an economics perspective and a geopolitical perspective, you then sort of lay that over where the gold price is, and then you make a determination whether gold is a good or a bad investment. Once you make that decision, then there are a number of, a number of vehicles, whether you want to be bearish or bullish the gold market, for you to execute your strategy. So I look at gold as nothing different than Apple stock. I mean, people look at Apple right now and they say it's a great company. Well, you know, anybody that bought Apple stock five, six months ago at $225 would disagree with you. Yeah, right. At $160, Apple looks pretty attractive. So, you know, it's, it's, it's got to do with timing. It's got to do with cycles. And right now we, uh, we think we're in a very constructive cycle for gold and we think it's got much, uh, not much higher in the sense that I'm not calling for 5,000, but we're constructive on the gold price. We think it's got, uh, more room to move higher from these current levels, even though it's gone up to 1300 over the past few days. So uh, tell us, Peter, how does one invest in gold today? I mean, there's obviously the GLD ETF. Uh, and then I, you know, you hear advertisements, uh, commercials about buy gold coins, that kind of thing. How does one invest in gold? You know, again, when somebody says to me, and uh, most of the conferences I go to, and you know, and again, I did uh, sort of, a, I, I, I did a look back as well on on sort of the questions I was asked back in the 70s and 80s when I was in uh, in uh, the wholesale business, running a wholesale desk as opposed to what I'm doing now, which is more retail oriented uh, for Kitco. Was clients ask me, should I buy gold? And it really comes down to me not answering the question, but asking the client a question uh, in response. And that question is, what's your motivation and you know why are you buying gold why why is it that that's triggering something in you and there is a group uh, that believe that the fiat system globally is going to collapse and the governments are are invasive and they want to hold gold uh, and they don't trust institutions uh, so this group of investors will not be buying ETFs uh, they're reluctant to hold their gold with dealers and allocated accounts. They're reluctant to buy mining shares. They, uh, they don't trust anything that is sort of an organized market. So what they want to do is they want to buy physical gold. They want to take delivery of the gold uh, and then have that gold uh, when, uh, in their minds, Armageddon uh, comes. So the physical market is a, is, a, is a very fluid market. There's a variety of things uh, clients can invest in, anywhere from one gram of gold, which is a 30-second of an ounce, all the way up to 400-ounce gold bars, uh, which is what you saw in the James Bond movies back in the 70s. So there's a wide range of not only bars but coins uh, that you can buy when you're looking at physical gold. Uh, for investors that don't have that same fear with, uh, from a perspective of institutional risk, uh, they have access to ETFs, uh, they have access to gold mining shares, um, they have access to managed accounts in gold, um, and you can buy gold not only from a point of view of diversification of your portfolio, but you could buy it from a per, uh, perspective of geographical diversification. 
So, for example, an American can buy gold and hold the gold in Canada. They can hold the gold in Singapore, hold the gold in Hong Kong. So they have some of their assets outside of their jurisdiction of residence uh, and still be able to benefit from the appreciation of the asset that they're buying, but also have the ability, should they decide to leave the country, to have their assets already uh, sequestered outside of their and their country of residence. So, Peter, so, uh, our the answer- options are multitude. Okay, and it, it sounds like it. <laughs> We're glad that you're there with 40 plus years of experience here to tell people about it. So, are institutions buying gold? Uh, you know, uh, university endowment funds and pension plans for unions and things like that. Again, that's not a yes or no answer. I would say some are. Uh, I mean, uh, some of the uh, the uh, the managers of these uh, of these pensions and and the endowments and and just generally uh, mutual funds uh, see the uh, logic of of holding a position in precious metals as part of a balanced portfolio. Uh, I mean, recently you're seeing people coming out of the woodwork that really haven't expressed uh, uh, an interest in gold, such as, uh, you know, Jim Cramer, uh, you know, a couple of billionaires that, are, that have come on, uh, you know, uh, some of the financial networks that have now expressed uh, that gold should form a portion of your portfolio. So it, it, it's, it, it's really something that you look at as as part of a balanced portfolio and and you know what a lot of people or a lot of analysts have been saying over the years and and uh i agree with the first principle but i uh, but they never finished the statement you know they indicate that you should hold 5 or 10% of your portfolio on gold and then they put a period behind that sentence and and they move away the thing is it's not a static investment gold is just like apple or or it's just like your bond uh, a portion of your portfolio it's something that needs to be managed so if you go into the concept that 5% of your portfolio should be in gold whether that's in physical gold or in etfs or in uh, gold mining shares you don't just buy it and forget about it. I mean, you know, you don't just buy a stock and forget about it. You manage it. So you recalibrate your portfolio every six months. And uh, just to give you sort of a, a simple mathematical type of example, if you were to buy gold at $1,000 and that represented 5% of your portfolio, if in six months gold was at $2,000, it's likely that your gold position in your portfolio now probably doesn't represent 5%. It represents 10%, maybe 12%. You need to sell that 5 or 7%. Vice versa, if you bought gold at $1,000 and it's now at $500, it probably now doesn't represent 5% of your portfolio. It represents 2%. You need to buy 3%. So you need to have a plan. And if your plan is to hold a, a sort of a 5 or 10% weighting in precious metals, as part of an overall balanced portfolio, you need to mark that to market and trade it accordingly. And if you do that with your precious metals position in your portfolio, you'll find that if the, when the markets move higher, you'll, you'll lighten up on your precious metals position to retain your 5% weighting. And if the markets move lower, you'll buy more, also retain that 5% weighting. So you'll be exiting the market on strength and entering the market on weakness. Well, those are some great, uh, great points there. And I, I would completely agree with you that uh, gold does not get the, uh, the action, the, the activity uh, by investors. And they just kind of buy it and set it aside. Uh, let's move on for a minute from gold. Um, why should investors consider other precious metals and and what 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 
what, what kind of what do you tell people about that? You know, your primary focus or the primary focus tends to be with investors tends to be on gold. They don't tend to listen to anything else. Now, silver tends to get some airtime uh, because silver, from a percentage perspective, tends to outperform gold both on the upside and the downside. So if you're bullish gold uh, and you don't have, uh, you know, the capital allocation to be able to buy gold at $1,300 an ounce and you're looking at silver, which is at $15.90 an ounce, uh, you'll get more. Uh, you may get more uh, more traction buying silver, with the anticipation that the market is moving higher. So silver tends to be a sister metal to gold, although it does tend to also have an industrial application, which could affect price up or down, uh, irrespective of where gold is going. But it does tend to mirror the price of gold in 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 a higher percentage move. Now, when you get to the more, let's say, I'll call them exotic metals because most people don't have never heard of them or they've never taken the time to learn about them. Uh, metals such as, uh, you know, palladium or rhodium, for example. Um, yeah, three years ago, we gave a strong signal on both palladium and rhodium. Uh, uh, rhodium was trading at $700 an ounce. Today, it's at $2,500 an ounce. Uh, platinum, palladium was at 650 Today, it's trading at 1350 so there are opportunities in what uh, what is classed as the PGM metals uh, that are almost entirely industrial-based, uh, but that are much more sensitive to supply and demand issues. So there are opportunities in those metals as well, except that you know people just don't understand them, so they tend to stay away from them and sometimes miss opportunities that have been uh, actually extremely uh, extremely great over the past uh, two or three years. Okay. How about the political situations uh, and concerns about, uh, you know, these things are done in various areas uh, that are not that political, politically stable? Is that a concern of many people or should it be a lesser concern or greater concern? How do you see that, Peter? My my track record when I when I look at gold is I, I tend <coughs> excuse me. I tend to value the uh, the macro picture on gold from a fundamental perspective based on uh, carry cost of my investment. And if you look at gold in uh, 2011, uh, you know interest rates uh, went to zero. They stayed at zero for uh, through about 2015 before the Fed started tightening. At that in in that time window, the U.S. dollar because interest rates were at zero uh, was under pressure, and you had uh, you had a situation where gold uh, was rising. Uh, when the Fed started to reverse course on interest rates around 2013, I believe it was, um, the dollar uh, started to appreciate in value, and as a result, gold came under pressure because most commodities are valued against the U.S. dollar or priced against the U.S. dollar. And uh, that scenario of the Fed tightening with a stronger dollar has created the drop in gold over the past, well, from the high of, of, uh, uh, from the high of 2011. But it appears now that the Fed is going to back away from, from raising interest rates, and that should weaken the dollar in 2019, and that's why you're seeing the price of gold starting to move higher again. Uh, in August or September of last year, when we called the bottom, gold has uh, since then appreciated 12%. Uh, the Fed meeting is today at 2 o'clock. It's anticipated that they are, are uh, not going to raise interest rates today uh, and uh, probably give forward guidance that 
it'll be data dependent, which indicates to me that given the economic uh, growth that I'm looking at in the U.S., uh, it's probably uh, the Fed is probably not going to raise rates for the balance of 2019, which should put pressure on the U.S. dollar, which should be price positive for gold. Now, that's fundamental. Now, if you look at the other uh, issues that could move the price, uh, which I think you're referring to, those are what I would consider the geopolitical issues. So you have issues potentially with North Korea. You have potentially issues with the Chinese trade war. Uh, you have potential issues with Iran. Uh, those types of spark points uh, tend to move the price of gold up or down, depending whether they're resolved or not. But those tend to be temporary because uh, when you get a flashpoint, like when we had an issue with Cyprus three years ago, uh, you tend to get a move up in gold, but then once it's sort of resolved, the, the movement uh, is basically uh, evaporates back to where the fundamentals are. And the fundamentals on gold right now are the carry cost of the metal and the value of gold relative to the U.S. dollar. And if we're right that interest rates are going to stay stagnant or actually move lower and the dollar is going to weaken, uh, then uh, the, it's constructive to be along the gold market even at current levels. You know, that, that was great. Uh, that was right on an encyclopedia somewhere here, uh, Peter. Uh, <laughs> we really appreciate that input. And uh, so, uh, and, and, and the, uh, the relationship with, with the U.S. dollar. So let's, let's change direction a little bit here. Uh, what's the best advice that you've ever heard, read, or received about investing? Well, the best advice, unfortunately, most people have difficulty following it, is you've got to cut your losses and ride your profits. I know that sounds really easy, but it's extremely difficult to do. Uh, you know, people get into something, whether they hear it from their neighbor or, or you know, they, you know, they watch a financial news uh, network or they get a, or they're watching a television show and there's an ad that comes on television, uh, and they get into an investment. And uh, you know, the first thing uh, they don't understand what they bought. Uh, they haven't done any research. They just heard that it was a good thing, so they buy it. And you need to set yourself a stop. Uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't re matter what you're buying. Uh, so, uh, again, let's use the Apple example. So you think Apple at $220 was a great investment. Well, in your mind, you've got to set a stop. And when that stop hits, you have to get out. You can't say, well, you know, I set a stop at 210 and sort of at 210, but maybe it's going to bounce, and then it goes to 205, and then you go, well, you know, it was just at 210. I'll wait for 210 again, then I'll get out. Next thing you know, it's at 195, and you, you just don't get out. Uh, so th th that's the first discipline. The second discipline is you've got to ride your profits. So let's assume you bought the Apple at 220, and now it's at 230, and it looks like it might have some legs. So now it goes to 240. Uh, you know, you put a stop in maybe at 230 for maybe half the position or three quarters of the position. If it goes to 230, you get out, take your profit. If it runs to 260, you raise your stop. But what people tend to do is they tend to buy something and they just hold it and hope. And, uh, you know, I had a buddy that was a broker that I dealt with in the 70s and, uh, I'm not going to use the analogy because it's uh, it, it's not a pleasant analogy, but he basically said, you know, if you buy a dog at eight dollars, it's not less of a dog if it goes to six. <laughs> that is interesting. I I have never heard that, uh, that little analogy here. So, but those those are great points. Uh, and and moving your stop there, that that's 
one of the smartest things in terms of trade execution that any investor can do, and I, I just don't see people uh, doing that much here. Uh, another question we'd like to ask all of our um, guests here, Peter, what keeps you awake at night? Worrying about my children. <laughs> You're not alone there. No, I, you know, well, you know, I'm 67 years old, and I've, uh, you know, I've gone through it all, and uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about the future. I, I really am, and I'm not so much worried about the financial future. I'm worried more about the moral future of, uh, of, uh, you know, where I'm seeing. Uh, sort of North America and, and generally Western civilization going to. And every year our uh, sort of our moral compass tends to dip a little lower. Uh, and I don't think that's a good thing. And uh, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, what this world is going to look like in 20 or 30 years. I'll be long gone. Uh, and, uh, you know, what my kids are going to have to face. So uh, if anything keeps me up at night, it's uh, sort of worrying about, you know, how they're going to manage uh, moving forward. And, you know, we've all done it. And, uh, you know, maybe everything will work out and they're going to have to deal with what they deal with and uh, maybe everything will come out on the right side down the road. But uh, it certainly feels a, a lot more difficult nowadays moving forward, especially for the younger generation than it did when, you know, when I was uh, a kid. When I was a kid, I had nothing. I mean, basically, uh, you know, we were walking with our heads down on the ground looking for uh, pennies uh, as we were walking along the street and we didn't think anything of it. And, uh, you know, we had jeans with uh, holes in them uh, long before it became fashionable to buy jeans with holes in them and uh but everything just seemed normal and we you know we went out at 16 got our jobs uh, part-time jobs uh, you know all tried to get to school and had to pay for it ourselves if we did and but it, it seemed normal it wasn't a burden for us and and just nowadays it just seems almost extremely difficult for for the younger generation to be able to to move along that path unless you know unless their parents sort of help them out or you know they have some kind of resource to rely on so uh, that that's what keeps me up at night you know no question about it. i heard a quote recently where uh, that uh, there are enough prophets of gloom uh that uh to keep anyone from uh, wanting to get out of bed in the morning and no question about it uh you know my wife and i have seven kids and so we have those very, very same concerns that you have for children and grandchildren and all of society and the like. And all anybody has to do is look at Google News or Flipboard or, uh, you know, uh, L.A. Times, especially New York Times, and get, get discouraged and the like. So let's keep our fingers crossed that uh, things do improve here. Uh, speaking of improvement, yeah, uh, last question uh, on, on uh, things we like to ask our guests. What book on investing would you recommend for our listeners, Peter? Trying to think of the title. It's about a monk that buys a, uh, a Jaguar. Is it a Jaguar or a Ferrari? That's not one I'm familiar with. Paul, you familiar with that? Not not me. <laughs> uh, the, the Most monk, of the monks I know don't drive Ferraris. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it, I read it and it really resonated with me. And I, I think it's called The Monk That Bought a Ferrari. Uh, okay. Remember the author? I'm sure if you, I, no, I don't. I don't. This was a ways back. A ways back. You know, and as far as investment books go, uh, they're cool. Uh, I mean, my my only caution to investors is, uh, you know, two things. One, 
you know, when somebody gives you some advice, find out what their motivation is behind the advice. I mean, are they making money on that advice? Great point. Great I mean, point. You know, you get you know you get these metals dealers that are uh, uh, you know I'll buy this because gold's going to five thousand, but you know they make their money selling gold. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> they're not likely to come out and say I don't think gold's going higher. Right. So you know, sort of measure your measure your action based on the advice you get and where the advice is coming from. Like, what's the motivation and behind it? And you know, stay away from people that try to scare you. I mean, uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, people, uh, that analysts and, and writers uh, uh, sometimes have really good points as to uh, worries about where the economy is going and things like that. But, you know, people say the, the world's coming to an end and gold is going to $10,000 an ounce. Uh, I mean, just take that with a grain of salt. I've heard that story since the 70s. Um, and, yeah, maybe one day it'll happen. But, again, just don't sort of get caught up in in the blindness of that, you know, try to do your own uh, work on it and try, and try to figure out where this is coming from and what's behind the statement. You know, is it because they're selling gold and they want you to buy it or, uh, you know, just try to try to analyze a little bit more before you sort of jump in with, uh, you know, just uh, out of blind fear. So and I uh, do I do have the book. I looked it up for those listening. Now we're all we're all running to Google. Look it up. It is called <laughs> it is called the monk who sold his Ferrari, and it's by yeah, Robin Sharma. <laughs> the monk who sold his Ferrari by Robin Sharma, and then there's a follow up book by another author. I bought the monk's Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Paul, for finding that for us. Appreciate it. So give us contact information for anyone who'd like to know more here, Peter. Well, uh, again, I, and this is not a promo on Kitco. Uh, uh, when I came sort of out of retirement, when uh, when Kitco approached me in 2010 and asked me if they if I would run their precious metals division, I sort of looked at the company. And what I found uh, really refreshing about Kitco is if you go on Kitco.com, uh, you'll see um, some 30, 40. Um, uh, sort of stories a day, uh, you know, uh, various uh, r reports by various authors that are in the industry that some are bullish, some are bearish. It, uh, it, it's very neutral. It's not all bullish. It's not all bearish. And what I liked about that was that clients can at least take the time to educate themselves and understand the market and understand why markets move. And then if they then make a decision to enter the market, then they at least have some basis to go into. So at kitco.com, you can at least get the information as to why markets have moved, uh, what professionals in the market think to the trend of the markets so that you can get yourself up to speed as, as, as to what you're investing. And I think that's very important. Uh, if people want to reach me directly, they can reach me at phug at kitco.com. I can't promise you I'll give you an answer the same day, uh, but I will promise you that I will get back to you with any response you give me uh, or any questions that you pose to me. So that's basically how you can reach me. And uh, as far as getting market intelligence, kitco.com, I think is one of the best sites in the world. Sounds great. That's Kitco, K-I-T-C-O, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been very interesting and enlightening on a subject that, uh, you know, uh, most of us know very, very little about. So our best wishes to you and Kitco for continued uh, success. And we'll keep our fingers crossed that gold does not go to $10,000 an ounce here. <laughs> that would not be good for, for uh, you know, the vast majority of us here. So, Peter, thank you very much again for joining us and our best wishes here. 
You're welcome, Charlie. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Peter Hug, Director of Global Trading for Kitco, a precious metals dealer out of Montreal, New York City, and Hong Kong. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. Please contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. Go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.